Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi there, and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Avine Banish. And before we get started with the show today, I just wanted to invite you to consider joining me in my January winter circle. Uh, for the past 13 years, I've been assisting women during moments of transition in their lives. Clients seem to find me at key moments when something is falling away or something new is emerging in their life. Um, and I've been calling together these amazing circles that I do seasonally where women gather and we do them virtually, uh, usually for about six weeks, and through connection and community and uh, coaching, it's just astounding to me the forward movement that is made, the insight that is discovered, and the friendships that are formed. And so um, we're kicking off another round in January. I'm offering a Tuesday evening um, session as well as a Wednesday around lunchtime session. Uh, programs will, will run for six weeks. I will link um, all the details in the show notes, but I would love it if you would consider joining me in the winter circle. So without further ado, here is my guest and welcome and thank you for listening to the Wholehearted Healer podcast. Hi there, and welcome to another episode, a very special episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I am your host, Dr. Avine Banish, and today I'm really excited to bring on my oldest daughter, Madeline Banish, as my guest this week. Maddie is a senior at Northwestern University. She is studying neuroscience um, and getting a minor in religious studies and a certificate in data science. And um, I thought it would be really fun to bring her on to talk about a couple of different things. She took an amazing class um, this semester called Designing Your Life and has been telling me all about that. And I also wanted to just touch in, Maddie has been a dancer her whole life. And um, I'm really interested in how our creative pursuits can assist us in living wholeheartedly. And so I think she's a really good uh, teacher for me on doing that. So Maddie, I wanna say welcome. Hello, I'm happy to be here. Um, I'm Maddie. I use she, her pronouns. And thank you for the introduction. Wonderful. And so um, maybe let's just begin by telling those listening about dance for you, what dance means in your life, how you found it, um, and what you're doing with dance these days as a full-time student. Yeah, totally. Um, so I've been dancing since I was very young. Um, and pretty quickly in my dance career, I got into the competitive space. Um, so doing dance competitions and working both in a team way and as an individual competitor. And that was really fun. And I really appreciated the mentorship opportunities I had and enjoyed working with the team. Um, but one big thing for me when I transitioned to college um, was I was worried that I would lose kind of that artistic output for me. Um, so I landed on Northwestern 
um, because it boasts kind of this interest in both science and arts. Um, and I joined a dance company there, which is entirely student-driven, which means um, all of our shows are organized by students. They're all choreo choreographed by students um, and of course performed that way as well. Um, so it's been really wonderful to kind of explore what it's like to create dance because for the longest time I was mainly um, living out other people's artistic vision. And then also um, it's been really exciting to help kind of shape a space of dancers after being in the competitive world for so long and do it in a way that's more creative and more for fun than it is to win. Wonderful. And um, how does dance, which is a super embodied, you know, a lot of, you're a very heady person, you know, you, you're, you take your academics really seriously, but it feels to me watching you that dance is a really beautiful alternative. It's a way that you would release stress and get embodied. Can you talk about just how it has been a tool for you in that way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's lots of different avenues in dance and different pockets of styles um, that kind of call for different textures. Um, but I'm really lucky to have a lot of ballet technique, which then allows me to kind of feel comfortable in my movement and explore beyond. Um, so because I've been working with dance as a medium for so long, I'm kind of in an exploratory era um, where, you know, if I've been sitting at my desk all day working, it's exciting to me to kind of just get up. I have a mirror in my room and improv. Um, and then sometimes that becomes choreography. Sometimes that's just something for me to kind of shake out stress, um, to feel better and to kind of open another side of my brain um, when I use the analytical one so often. And what do you notice? I mean, how do you feel after, what is dancing or what is the aftermath of dance feel like in your body? What comes to mind is like, what's often said with, what we were actually talking about, about hot yoga today, kind of like tox toxicity release. I wouldn't say it necessarily goes that far, but I feel really accomplished when I'm sore in dance um, because it's kind of exciting. I think of it as energy moving through me. Um, so I think after I'm done, I, I often feel lighter. I feel, um, more buoyant almost. And in, in my headspace, it's much easier to kind of then go back to the more structured sides of my life, um, with more ease. Beautiful. And I know, you know, for someone listening who may love to watch dance or may, um, you know, I'm turning 50 this year. So I danced a lot when I was younger <laughs> in college. And, but for someone listening who may have gotten away from dance or who maybe like has never danced, do you think that dance is something that's accessible to those who don't have the kind of training that you have? Yes. Um, I, this brings to mind one of my really good friends. Um, her name is Anika. And she has been a longtime tennis player. Of course, she's my age, um, so we're in college. But she tried one of Northwestern's like very basic level dance classes. Um, and she tried ballet, which is a big step because it's a very difficult technique and absolutely loved it. She found it very freeing um, and kind of just exciting to work with other beginners and to move her body in ways that maybe sports don't um, demand or encourage you to do. Um, 
And she now takes a lot of beginner level classes and has written articles for our school newspaper about how exciting it was to both step into like a space of beginner's mind, but also kind of to learn how to move her body in a more fluid way. So I would say regardless of your age, there's lots of outlets for this. Um, I'm lucky enough to live in Chicago, which has a lot of dance opportunities, but there are spaces that are beginners only that I won't go, um, but bring a lot of people in who want to try partner dancing or want to try hip hop for the first time. Um, And you can kind of look at it like a workout class and then explore beyond on your own. Wonderful. And can you link, you know, all your studies in neuroscience and like what kind of benefits are there in the brain to free form movement or embodied movement? Can you think of any? Um, So I don't have studies on hand to give you by any means, Um, but I do think embodied trauma and chronic pain can benefit a lot um, just from moving energy throughout the body. And there's classes that I've taken or been inspired to teach that tend to begin laying down. And you can start by just moving your fingers, moving your toes, and then moving beyond into bigger movement. And some of the most um, meaningful classes I've been in have been classes where your eyes are closed the whole time and you're rolling around on the floor or um, you're moving your limbs. And even for an experienced dancer, that can be extremely moving. Um, And I think that is something that has been channeled into dance therapy, but could be very meaningful for um, situations of embodied trauma, situations of mental health care. Um, And that's something you can begin trying on your own. Um, It's also, there are also spaces for exploring that. Um, But on a more general level, I just think it helps kind of dancing preserves that flexibility of mind um, and interest in trying and failing. That's something I often notice is rather than staying in my ways as a dancer, it's good to push myself beyond um, because failing in an embodied space sometimes makes me more flexible when I'm failing in other areas of my life. That's really wise, kid. (laughs) Um, I wonder too, um, if you can talk a little bit about this class that you got to take this Mm -hmm. semester as a senior called Designing Your Life and, and just threading dance in there for us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll start with a little plug to give credit to the creators of it. Um, So Designing Your Life was a class first created at Stanford University um, by Bill Burnett and Dave Evans, who are two design engineers. Um, And it was later adapted at Northwestern by my wonderful professor, Bill Ankeman, um, and my co-professor, Joya Fain. Um, So that was really exciting. The idea of the class is to take design engineering principles and apply them to your life. Um, So what does that mean? That means we talked a lot about the design process, which is basically coming up with an idea, speaking with an audience, um, with empathy and with radical collaboration. Radical collaboration is what it's called um, to then come up with an idea and then you continue to iterate. So um, something we talked about in the class was charting your course as you would on a sailboat. Um, tack by tack rather than going in a straight line and trying to pursue that. Um, 
So as a graduating senior, um, the work we did in this class really resonated with me um, because I think it can be very overwhelming when you're in a professional space like Northwestern that's telling you to go, go, go for one thing um, and to kind of get more realistic about it and decide that I'm going to go minute by minute, hour by hour and see how I feel um, and kind of design my life the way I'd like to rather than following a charted path. So that is the overview of the class. Um, one specific exercise I was excited to talk about here that circles back to dance was the idea of creating three different paths for your future that you could realistically take right now. Um, so the book and my professors pushed us to choose a life that we're already kind of pursuing. That would be life one. Life two would be if that career no longer existed, what would you do? And then life three was if money didn't exist and um, kind of traditional standards didn't matter, what would you do? Um, and for me, dance was present in all of these lives. I came into an interesting, um, I was interested in whether my third life should be pursuing dance as a professional, trying to kind of continue dancing in a serious way, or if it was better to lean into the creative side of it and use it as an outlet um, and kind of weave it into the rest of my life. Um, so I think that exercise is exciting because it helps you think about how you want to spend your time and how you want to balance your life. And that decision is is still being made minute by minute. So we'll see. And what I think is so interesting, I gathered with um, for a 50th birthday party this past week, and um, I was talking with a number of women. I'm turning 50 this year. And I think when you're in college, you think that you know, everyone older than you has it figured out. And I'm always amazed by how that is just not true. Like there were a bunch of amazing women gathered around the kitchen Island chatting. And we were all kind of at a moment of a new iteration, like mm. kids are getting older and, um, you know, each of them had so much to offer, but that can be really overwhelming. Yeah. And so that exercise sounds, sounds pretty fruitful. Certainly. Yeah. And the book and the class also kind of boasts this idea of consistently checking in with your compass, um, which refers to the balance of work, play, love, and I think faith or purpose. Um, and that, you know, a 50th birthday party sounds like a perfect time to mm -hmm. check in with that compass. Um, because, you know, when your kids are leaving home, your family meter changes and your love meter changes. And then rather than continuing down the same path you're on and kind of feeling maybe that depletion, um, it's helpful to kind of think proactively about where else can I get that? Or how am I going to get ahead of what I know serves me? And then I guess another question I'd had is you'd mentioned radical collaboration. Can you, that's a new term for me. Can yeah. you describe what that looks like? Yeah. So I can describe it in the sense that I am a neuroscientist taking an engineering course for the first time. This is an engineering term mm -hmm. that I've learned something about. Um, but basically it's the idea that you shouldn't have a singular sounding board. It's the idea that you should have lots of people who are going to have different opinions um, and different background to share. 
um, who you're prototyping this stuff with. So um, they talk about creating a team of people who are going to support you, but who are also going to challenge you. Um, And then also the idea of um, counsel instead of advice. So rather than people speaking from their own perspective, you want to talk to people who are going to try to hear what you have to say and try to kind of um, help you out rather than just giving you what they would do. Um, So the idea of radical collaboration is um, there are no wrong ideas. There are no bad ideas. There's no saying no. It's all yes um, until you get to the phase where you're actually prototyping what's happening. So it's more, it's just a nice word for brainstorming with a large group. Yeah. And I mean, if you're lucky enough, um, especially as you get older to have friends like that in your life, you're lucky enough, Mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. And a large group, you know, depends. You may be more introverted and more, um, prone to seeking support from three or four people, but that's, that's great. As long as they are going to have diverse, um, ideas on where you should go rather than ideas that maybe serve their own interests. Mm -hmm. And Maddie, this is a podcast where I interview fascinating people like you about how to live wholeheartedly in the world. And what I mean by that is, you know, being aware of the challenges that are happening in our current world. And um, rather than shutting down or numbing out, which sometimes feels easier, they are the people who can kind of be with things and still have um, an open heart. And I see you as one of those people, but I wonder if you have any thoughts or advice on how to live a wholehearted life. Yeah. I mean, in accordance with everything I've said, I think the biggest thing I'm learning as I'm figuring myself out is when I feel petrified or worried or overwhelmed by the state of the world. Um, Like you were saying, taking time, um, but also understanding that energy is meant to move. And for me, um, taking time to dance or taking time to meditate or do yoga, something that's going to um, move harsh energy beyond the sounding chamber of my own brain um, and into a place where maybe for a moment or two, I'm disconnecting from the thinking brain um, and connecting to the other parts of my body so that when I come back, I have a fresher perspective um, and I'm more able to kind of bring my whole head and heart to whatever I'm, I'm working with or considering. That's really beautiful. Um, you and your friends and your contemporaries really, um, give me a lot of hope for the future and, um, your thoughtfulness and just your way of looking at the world is inspiring to me. So thank you so much for coming on and being a guest. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad I got to talk to you. All right. Thank you so much, Maddie. Bye. Bye.